So there's a big um, shift, very important shift that's uh, central to uh, not just understanding Dhamma, but really being in the stream, being in the flow of Dhamma. So it's like all a shift, uh, almost like a change of footing or a change of center. Uh, and it's really associated with... Um, with uh, feeling, you know, feeling and contact impressions. Uh, so normally feeling is the thing that really pushes us, doesn't it? Pleasant feeling, painful feeling, pleasant physical feeling, pleasant mental feeling, emotional feeling, inspiration, desperation, feeling praise, feeling respected, feeling needed feeling rejected, <laughs> and so on, kind of unpleasant, feeling bored, stiff, feeling depressed, feeling pointless, useless, waste of time, what's my life going to, you know, and so you get these different kind of uh, layers and strata of feeling that uh, are the source where we get moved, and when we start to get moved, you know, we form our views and opinions, <clears throat> about what's right and wrong. <clears throat> what's fair and what's just. Mm. What's, uh, you know, so even about truth itself. And so the Buddha said actually all of the various views that can occur about, about uh, the nature of reality and truth and the soul and the self and the world and so forth arise based upon contact. Everything just arises upon how you, how your mind moves towards pleasant feeling of some kind, pleasant emotional feelings, pleasant spiritual feeling, mm. where you start to feel blissful or happy, or you feel uh, sort of propelled or uplifted. Mm. And so, these, particularly this level of, of religious viewpoint is extremely seductive, because <coughs> often religious experiences. We might say feelings of oneness, feelings of radiance, feelings of exaltation, feelings of inspiration, <coughs> feelings of achievement. Uh, they're not they're not they're not easy feelings to have. So because they're a level of feeling that we might not necessarily experience in our daily life, we think, "Wow, I'm feeling this is it. I've seen it. I'm the one. I know it all. You know, I am. The truth is this." So you get this kind of Le- level of experience, and then you form a view about that experience as giving you this this special feeling. You know, and so sometimes in you know meditative circles that people have these flushes, you know they they have an intense retreat of some kind and get some kind of experience and they get a big high out of it, and then you you start proclaiming it to the rooftops. <coughs> so this uh, generally. In monasteries, if this happens, which doesn't happen very often, monasteries monasteries are fairly boring. 
you know, there's always some grinding quality to monastic life that you don't get, at least in what in this kind of tradition, you don't really get these exalted experiences so much. And it's quite useful actually. But if you do, then the teacher tenderly just says, fine, well, okay, you, you're right, you're enlightened, and we're into the oneness, fine, we'll just sweep the meditation hall for a week. You'll get over it sooner or later. Because <laughs> these just kind of, you start to see how you won't, these minds get so excited. And it's not that these feelings are bad but, or wrong, but often we, it's almost like the mind coming out of its very rather limited range of feeling into a bit much bigger range of subtler feeling gets very excited. And the truth of the matter is that, that uh, you know, a un- person who doesn't cultivate often is experiencing a rather limited range of feeling. You know, just feeling based upon sense contact. Sight, touch, taste, sound. Mm-hmm. On things like being praised or blamed. You know, so the feeling tends to but then when you actually get into meditative experiences, it gets much vaster and subtler and more, more uh, rapturous levels of feeling occur. So through, through <clears throat> that's just what happens, what can happen. It's not wrong, it just means your mind is getting more sensitive and, and subtler and, open, and certain hindrances are falling away, so you get into much wider and uh, more uh, exquisite and interesting and and you might say unnormal levels of feeling. Uh, so, but the Buddha is saying, well, yeah, but it's still a feeling. Mm. And you start to form one mind gets excited and grabs hold of that and the base of that and then so forth. You know, and the teaching is always quite quite um, incisive. You know, so. Buddha says, I know that experience, I've had that experience, I've been there, I know what that feels like, the enjoyment of it, the pleasure of it, the danger of it, and the way to release from that. And then he forming any views about it. You know, the truth is something you don't need to form a view about. It's perfectly capable of standing up for itself. We don't need to have an opinion to hold it up. <laughs> you know, it's perfectly adequate. Uh, to, you just live your truth. You don't need to form something out of it. And that's beautiful because then there's a humility in that sense in which I can never really say it because it's bigger than, you know, I don't expect to. And humility uh, is really uh, kind of love, real love of, of reality, just being... You know, a love of reality, a trust of reality, a trust of the validity of, of experience without having to proclaim it and become it and have it and prove it and so forth. Or even try and make other people believe it. It's incredibly... Uh, uh, so that when we cultivate this way, this is kind of really seeing how one wants to grab an experience and make something out of it and prove it and, you know so forth. This, this isn't really what it's about. Because you know? particularly when you're in the receiving end of some of this stuff, you think, oh, you know, you just, you don't, you don't want to be <laughs> babbled at. By 
it doesn't it doesn't arouse respect it doesn't arouse that mm-hmm. yeah. it can arouse a kind of a, a sort of superficial i think superficial interest mm-hmm. so anyway this uh, feeling itself to move to not be so um fascinated by it but neither we don't re- not to reject it either <clears throat> and of course for you know, in in um certainly daily life in in these monasteries then the feeling is generally it's okay quite pleasant a bit new, negative slightly boring um you know and you're actually working with a kind of range of feeling tones it's not tremendously rapturous exciting nor is it really wretched and and depressing it's just kind of middling and that itself is a test because right? you get bored and um, the boredom starts to close down the mind's receptivity the mind's interest you know so certainly for you know it's so indicative you know when you, when uh, Yeah, I I go away to teach. You know, people come from many miles away. You know, to hear it's all wow, wonderful. But actually, for the people who live here, you know, most of my teaching is quite boring. You know, people are quite pleased not to not have to be here (laughs) because you know it's a sense of the same thing happening again and again and again. You know. And this kind of same day, same routines, has this effect on the mind. When the mind just gets stuck in that, so then you get a little bit bored and even a bit negative. The mind closes down. Neg- boredom is like a, it's the mind's um, not wanting, not able, not having the capacity to be fully resonant and present. We sort of something that shuts down from being present with things that we just. Uh, we, you know, so it has this, this this closing effect on the mind. It's always a very uh, good test. You know, sometimes we can rise up to big challenges. I remember there was this story of the one of the Ch- Chan monk in in um, in California who did a bowing pilgrimage, three steps, one bow, and he did this for. 1200 miles up the west coast three steps one bow three steps that's the way you move three steps one bow 1200 miles you know up a road with people with the rain you know people driving by throwing beer cans at him and all that kind of stuff went on for i think it was three years this took him just prostrating and it was kind of this immense challenge and he could uh you know it was, it was he could do that but he got back to the monastery it was just too tedious and boring. He couldn't take it. <laughs> so he, he did disrobe. There's no longer a sense of the pioneering challenge. You know. And this, I think this is one of the big tests. Certainly when we started these places, there was a lot of pioneering energy and new things and building things and you know, new things developing and having to work hard. And there was something kind of... Um, exciting about that rising up and then when it's when it's established you can't keep going on that particular movement you know because it's really just managing something and management 
is boring. Or it, it's, it's, the quality of boredom is, is easily uh, arises from, from just, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, and here we go, and nothing big deal, and there's no big changes, and we're not creating new areas, and we're not pushing back the boundaries, it's just keeping the thing ticking over, you know. You know? And you're okay. And you, well, that's what you've got to manage, isn't it? Really? Yeah. And when you come down to it, because actually a lot of, when you mind someone's internal practice, it can be like that the first, maybe the first time, first few months, years of meditation, you know, you find you can sit for 15 minutes solid, you can sit for half an hour, and your knees are getting better, and you, you know, you're getting, some of the, some of the no- noise in your head is dying down, you think, wow, getting places, and you read all these lovely, interesting ideas, you get wonderful, these kind of good feelings like that, and then after about 10 years of it, hey, <laughs> 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 you know, and if it's every day, and you know, here we are again, and you know, you've read the text, and you've done your Dzogchen, and Zen, and Meditation and samadhi and satori, and you've heard the lingo, and you've been to that, and just here, you know. And then, how do we keep going? I think a very good concept, good word to remember, which is actually a much maligned word because it's easily abused, is what is vata in Pali, what is vata, the English word roughly is duty which immediately has got a rather dour, boring sound to it. Do your duty, glum feeling to it. Vata is like a, uh, more like a, it's a turning. You know, so that the, when the Buddha turned the wheel of the law, it's vata, pavatana, made it turn. Dhamma chaka pavatana, he turned the wheel of the law. He set it going in its duty. Its duty of a wheel is to roll. That's what wheels do, they roll. <laughs> That's their nature, their vata, their, so their, their behavioural uh, norm, you see, is, is, to, is to turn. You know? And so vata is like a kind of behavioural norm or, or duty. And actually the, the, a lot of the training in, in monastic life, in some life, is duty, is vata. You have duty towards the teacher, duty towards the lay people, duty on going on arms round, Duty towards the refectory, duty towards visiting monks and nuns, duty towards, if you are a visitor, you have these kind of various prescribed observances that you do on a kind of repeated basis, independent of the circumstances. Not you only do it in nice monasteries, or you only do it to people you really feel fond of. No, you do it to all of them as part of your vata. So in that way, you're, you're moving outside of the sphere of whether today is a good day or a bad day, whether you like this nun or this monk, you say, well, whether I like them or not, this is what I do, it's my vata. So it's a kind of, you know, creating a different centre for intention other than one's moods and emotions. So, so, and that's useful. It doesn't mean that you don't have moods and emotions, but you, you have some sense of, you don't, you've got some way of 
witnessing and experiencing them and meditate contemplating them rather than just, just being pulled into them or trying to shut them down. And the sense of it is the vata quality is you just keep doing both the external vata, which is your, what you do, and the internal duty is to keep your awareness moving through this, like where's the suffering, where's the stress, where's your mind snagging, where's your mind holding on. So you might find there's a negative feeling, your mind snags on that, and it just keeps repeating that negative feeling. You know, so you see something you dislike about someone, you just go to that, and you keep going to that, and you keep going to that. It's like the needle is stuck on the record. You know, it's just repeating. So the mind isn't doing its duty, which is to come back to, to uh, full awareness, to mindfulness, to allowing a feeling to pass, which is the duty of Dhamma. You know, as you witness something, how am I with that? Uh, can I, you know, am I holding on to that? Am I held with that? Am I making that solid? I can let that pass. So you're more like flowing. So you're letting the negative pass. You let the positive pass. It doesn't mean you don't experience them. You let the, these feelings just move through. That's, that's the duty of meditation, you might say. And, you know, so that's how we meditate. That's how we meditate in terms of, of living. You know, so of course when you that's the skill so when, when you apply that to formal practice you're picking up a meditation object and you keep sort of doing this vata, this duty that is you, you sense the, the, the breathing for example and you, the pleasant feeling, the unpleasant feeling or whether the mind is jumping around or it's dull and you keep coming back to awareness and letting go of that keep coming back to awareness and starting again keep coming back to awareness back to center, you know, and you bring forth again the sense of purity, the sense of clarity, the sense of witnessing. So you're through this process of continually kind of reporting or, or referring to experience and purifying the mind of its negativity or its closing down or its attachment to a view or its forming a view or its craving for something to hold on to. You just keep turning it until the mind begins to empty of this of its own internal creations. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't create a whole load of views, feelings, interpretations, reactions. Yeah. So then, through that, the mind begins to clear, as it clears of this uh, this level of created uh, mental feeling then whatever is experienced, you know, there's a sense of fullness, fullness of an awareness with that. And of course, feeling is both pleasant and unpleasant. And surely, you know, for uh, this full intent of Dhamma, we have to acknowledge it's going to be pleasant and unpleasant. And both of those have uh, something we have, we are, they are manifest experiences in the universe. That ex- in our universe, our nervous systems work like that. There's no way, there's no point in resenting, blaming, 
forming views about the negative feeling, feeling guilty about it, feeling afflicted by it, feeling something wrong with you because of it. There is absolutely no point at all in that. It's just feeling guilty about it, negative about yourself, projecting onto the others, interjecting it into yourself, you're a bad person, or you know, you're a stupid person, or you're whatever, or projecting onto other people, they should be like this or that or the other. It's absolutely the world just gets denser and denser and weighs gets heavier and heavier the more that one's mind behaves in that way. The entire our world is dependent upon contact. You know, so the very world that whirls us, that grabs us in our own hearts and minds is just this dependently arisen stuff, arisen dependent upon contact impressions and the feelings that are aroused around that. And this is exactly what we are letting go of, which is not an eradication or annihilation or denial of feeling and contact, but the ability to purify the mind's responses. So the world is both here and not here. You see through it. Hmm? So I've just re- just come back from this uh, uh, conference in 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 Hamburg in Germany on uh, the Dalai Lama and Tibetan. Um, lineages had organized to look into the topic of bhikkhuni ordination so it was it was conferences you know and not something that i feel excited and moved towards but a sense of you know these this is a lot of energy in these topics it's big concerns people get strong feelings and views and interests and so forth going on so since it's one's duty to to be present to just to listen you know they didn't really want me to say anything but it seemed a very important occurrence to be just have some sense of being there with that and it's quite being of a conference nature it's a lot of it's quite was quite academic people talking about specific points of interpretation of aspects of the Mula Savastavada Vinaya and how they practiced in Korea in the 14th century and you think, oh yeah, right uh, uh-huh. um, <laughs> and, and delivered very quickly so it's kind of just lecture after lecture after lecture all day long uh, and sometimes quite repetitive, like you get the same stuff being told over and over again about some of the basic um, queries and historical incidents in the history of Buddhism. You know, so you get the same thing, he's just said that. He's, you know, I heard that three times already today. And um, you know, the, just the mind kind of always wanted to blank out um, from that. Uh, and you're just feeling that, just no, no, no. <laughs> you know, uh, come back, it's come back. For myself, it, it was also a bit challenging because of the seating arrangements, because of the particular um, difficulties I have in my spine. Um, I'm, for, I'm very comfortable sitting 
cross-legged in that particular position, but extremely, I can't sit very long on, on chairs. You know? It's something about way my, some damage in my back. So these were very, just sitting on these hard wooden chairs after about an hour, everything starts to seize up in the back. You can feel this kind of gradual closing and tension rising up all the muscles in the back. So after about a, two hours or so, it's getting up into my neck and the brain starts to kind of <laughs> close a little bit. So there was some quite, quite challenging because you don't want, the system doesn't want to be with unpleasant physical feeling doesn't want to be with um, you know, mental feeling is not int- not interested, and it was I found it very um, challenging, but but also good you know, in that to get through a day and actually not experience negativity, to be with that which is not interesting, difficult, painful, and some. You know, some few, of course, not always very pleasant comments being made about bhikkhus and males in general. <laughs> you know, it's just, well, okay, that's the way it goes. Um, and just, just be able to sort of listen. Mm-hmm. Be present and, and not just to, just as a practice to not let the mind go negative and start forming views. You know, you know how horrible it is to, when you form these views. You know, and how in fact a lot of this issue is just about you know views being formed and lineages forming views and prejudices and biases against other lineages and religions forming views and prejudices and biases against other religions and cultures forming views and prejudices and biases about particular observances and you think this is this is the whole problem isn't it you know and sometimes it's because you know, they can have views about nuns, or it can be Buddhists have views about Christians, or Christians have views about Muslims, or you know, Theravadans have views about Mahayana, and Tibetans can have views about Theravada. <laughs> <laughs> and you just, where does this stuff stop? Yeah. So the last thing we do is sit and have view, more views going on, because this is what's been going on for thousands and thousands of years and messing up, you know, teachings which are about, you know, really quite sacred things of compassion and awakening and transcendence and love thy neighbour as thyself and all these really lovely things. And yet, you know, when when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of mundane religious life, it's often steeped in views about liturgy and views about Orthodox versus Catholic or... Mahayana and Theravada and all this kind of stuff goes on and uh, out, out of you know the teachings are nice enough but you, you know you start to form a view and polarise and then there's antagonism and then there's holding on and then there's fear and then there's jealousy and then there's territory and power and so it goes you know and the thing messes up 
And you can see that you can actually witness that things start to happen in your own mind. Just listen to somebody talk. You just disagree. You didn't like that. So then you start, you know, the mind can start to form a view about it. <laughs> yeah. But just to be able to be with the repeated or the thing that doesn't arouse a particular mental interest or emotional interest or is emotionally challenging without snagging on it. Surely, you know, this is relevant for all of our lives, isn't it? Not just conferences, but daily life is like this. The doing, you know, the, the, the work we have to do today again, the Monday morning, the Sunday, the Saturday night, whatever it is for you, the repeated thing. The same person, you know, who is a source of interest and joy, uh, you know, at this time and now it's just him and her again. <laughs> how, how it can go like that, you know, where your mind closes. And how the practice is really just you, you keep turning within that. To, is there, what do you see? What do you hear? How much of that is steeped in your own, you know, your mind is creating negativity or indifference or opinions or comparisons? And can you come back to awareness of that experience and just keep letting, releasing it, letting go of it? So in a way, the world is, a, is an ongoing mystery that you don't, have to form into something solid. Another person is that something you don't have to form into something solid. And how that, the challenge of that, because it's radical insecurity to not have a view or a form about the world, yourself, your religion, your place as being best, worst, equal, least, most, whatever. You know, you just keep cleaning that because you know where it's going to go. Even if you're doing the, even if you, if your place is wonderful, and you hang on to it like that, you know where that's going to go, into sort of superiority complexes and, you know, putting down others. So you don't want to hang on to the positive; it doesn't need to be hung on to. Well, always. So that's that's the cycling. Mm-hmm. And when you cultivate like that, perhaps the, in your daily life, then for a start you're not picking up these things that end up trapping, polarizing, you know, these uh, hard and fast positions. But also, coming back into your meditation, how it's that very movement of the mind, that very subtle spreading of awareness, that subtle quality of uh, attention and intention around contact. The intention to not hold, the intention to free, the intention to be present. Yeah. And <coughs> so that's, that's the center 
of the circle of, in, of your duty, that's the center of your, of your wheel turning, is that. And that, yeah. So when we cultivate it like that, the beauty of this is you've got to the center of the world. So that instead of running around the world looking for the feeling and the best and the purest and the highest and the wonderful and the loving and the truest and whatever, everyone's continually shifting around, you just go to the center of it. You don't have to keep moving. It takes you to the center, your own center, is the center of the world. And from that center, awareness can spread and embrace the world. From that center, the awareness can spread and embrace the world rather than attachment suffuse and polarize and differentiate the world into this and that. And what is the spreading of awareness? This is, we might say this is wisdom, we can all say this is compassion. Because when you find that center, then you, when you're no longer defending or afflicted by the praise, blame, there's, you know, something that's saying, well, yeah, that's just, just like, just like everybody, you know, just like me, this person gets anxious, just like me, this person wants something to hold on to, just like my habits, this person wants to be right, doesn't want to be wrong, just like me, this person wants to be approved of rather than ignored, you know, and then you see really this is a sense of compassion for that, you know, rather than pointing the finger. And there is, uh, and from that, that means that you're, when, then you can, then you see from that particular place, you can actually embrace and be with it, the world. You don't have to close down and shut off. Because when you found the center of, of the world, then the various forms of the world don't have to preoccupy and dominate the mind. The center of the world is emptiness and it is, allows the quality of compassion to embrace the world. Anyone?